Welcome into episode 51 of the Natural Hattrick Podcast alongside the Human Dictionary, Craig Morgan, and World Cup of Hockey fanboy, Jamie Eisner. The Human Dictionary? Yeah. Craig always uses at least one word that I have to scramble to look up during the show, and I try not to make any noise as I'm, as I'm doing it, but there's always one word. Vitriol? Is that what it was today? Well, you've said vitriol so many times. Well, every time I look at Jamie, that's that's what I think. (laughs) So now I just, out of context, I know what it means. (laughs) Uh, It is episode 51. I have to say, if if all the podcasts I've been a part of, I don't want to get emotional here, but this this has to be the most consistent one. This is episode 51. Next week will be episode 52. We literally... That's how numbers work, correct. (laughs) You know... Just that that vitriol you were talking about, Craig. I don't I don't need this. Uh, that we literally next week will will be episode fifty two, and that'll be exactly a year. Craig has a giant picture of a laughing clown on his computer, and he won't take it down. So I'm starting to get nervous it's over patches. here. But he, it's moving. He keeps laughing. Anyway, I've already lost my train of thought. We got three more team previews coming up today. We're going to talk to uh, Eric Stevens of the Orange County Register to talk about the Ducks. We're going to talk to Roy Cummings to talk about the Tampa Bay Lightning, who may very well win a Stanley Cup. And we're going to talk to. Do, do I want to give the last guest away? I guess go I have ahead, to. Go ahead. Go ahead. Carolina Hurricanes assistant GM Rick Olchek will join us. He's also the assistant GM of Team Europe, who, as we're recording this, has a game in like four hours. So, <laughs> And if you want to jump ahead to any of those interviews, uh, now that uh, I will take the time because I just was forgetting and lazy, but I will not be forgetful and lazy this time. That's also consistent. Uh, check the description. If you're on iTunes, check the description box, or if you're on todayslashout.com, just check the story feed for the ex- – approximate times when each of those three guests will be joining us. I can see Jamie's approximate times being like after the five-minute mark, before the 55-minute mark. It, they're just, just going to go right to the parts where I start talking. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, forget Craig and Luke. Here's when I start talking. <laughs> That's a good way to get rid of all the subscribers. All right, so we should start uh, We should start with the World Cup because the actual games of the World Cup start this weekend. Oh, Craig, really? <laughs> I thought they were playing already. Yeah, well, this is... They're playing exhibition games. Yeah. Aren't, aren't these exhibition games? Exhibition games exhibition leading tournament? to an exhibition tournament. Yeah. Look, I've defended the uh, the World Cup quite a bit, and I'm I've, I've tuned in a little bit. I watched the U.S. and Canada. I watched some of the U.S. Finland game uh, on Tuesday. I'm excited for the actual tournament. But Craig, as I told you off the air, why do we have just as many exhibition games as we do actual tournament games in, as Jamie pointed out, an exhibition tournament? Well, from a viewership standpoint, it doesn't make any sense at all. No, it doesn't. Just make them and, count and, in the And tournament. by the way, NHL.com is covering the heck out of those exhibition, exhibition games. So is ESPN. But for the teams, you understand this completely. You're, you're bringing guys together, especially in the case of Team North America or Team Europe. These guys haven't played together at all. They need to develop some sort of chemistry, cohesion on the ice. So I think it's very beneficial for those teams. Maybe a little less so for the national teams where you've had groups of players that have played together. So I see the use for it then. But like you said, it's... It's weird to have as many games going that don't mean anything as there are games that supposedly mean something. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to have them play six games before the the semis, that's fine. And maybe make—I understand having one. Like, have one tune-up game. But it's not like these guys haven't played hockey before. It's not like they haven't been playing and working out over the summer with the way the NHL is now. It just feels weird to to see the U.S. and Canada play twice, and that first game was brutal, and, and the U.S. was obviously very into that, and then Canada came out looking for revenge the next night, and they got it, and none of that matters starting Saturday. It's so strange to me. Yeah, I, I think it dilutes the product a bit. Where you, you know, we're all looking forward. I want to see how Team USA faces Team Canada in this tournament, and if you've already seen it twice before it matters, it's kind of awkward. And, I mean, we had Tyler Sagan get hurt. I'm not saying that you can't play a tournament like this and expect no NHL players to get hurt. 
and I'm sure if he was legitimately hurt and going to miss NHL time, the Stars would be freaking out no matter where Canada was in the tournament when he got hurt. But just as a viewer, it's a little easier to justify, well, that was the you know the gold medal game of the World Cup as opposed to eh, ex- third exhibition game, second exhibition game. Yeah, that's a big point, too, is you're, you're going to have trouble attracting players who are afraid to get hurt before the regular season. It's one thing to say, hey, come play in the actual tournament, but to have all these exhibition games as well. Again, I joke exhibition of exhibition, but when you start to weigh risk-reward, especially maybe in players entering a contract year, I, I don't necessarily want to subject my body to six games of, of question marks and potentially getting hurt. Yeah, we talked about that, especially with the guys who are restricted free agents this year going into this without contracts. There's I know they get insurance, them. but... That insurance does not cover your future NHL playing years, not even close. So it's it's a huge risk for them. And, you know, assuming that these injuries to Tyler Sagan and Marion Hosa are not serious things that are going to linger, so far, so good, they've escaped that. But, yeah, man, if you imagine if somebody goes down in one of these games, particularly one of these exhibition, exhibition games, it's gonna and is lost for a significant time. Yeah. It's going to happen eventually, maybe not this year, but at some point. And it, it's, not, it's still not the Olympics. It's and, not the Olympics yeah. to the players, the coaches, the fans. It's not the Olympics. Jamie Eisner, Mr. Sunshine. But look, we saw it in the Olympics with John Tavares when he went down that year, and and that basically cost the Islanders the rest of their season. Um, And and that was tough enough as it was, but that was on some level you could kind of justify these are the Olympics, these guys want to play for their country. Now, I think one of the coolest things about this tournament, these guys clearly do want to play for their country in this, even in this format, which is not the Olympics. Or their continent. Yes, or their continent, or their region of the world. But... um, I don't know. At some point, they've been playing for a week. I'd like to see some of these games count in the tournament standings at least. Why have so many Mexican players boycotted Team North America? You know, that's a it's a complicated question with a complicated answer, I'm sure, and it's one that I don't have. Okay. <laughs> John Tortorella and uh, Max Patchy already, though. This Patches. 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 As, the clown. As There's that clown again. Can you put that clown – just turn your laptop off. Okay. Um, maybe the best storyline already is those two going at it. And – Seriously, how do, how do you feel about your, I don't know, your Team USA coach calling you out like that? It's just weird. I don't know. I mean, it's not, obviously not the first doo-doo that John Tortorella has stepped in during the World Cup of Hockey. Yeah, in the last week and a half. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, this goes back to who thought adding Tortorella to this tournament was a good idea. Like, did you not think this was going to happen at some point? I would say whoever added him can't be upset with what's going on. They when you had add John known. Tortorella, you have to know. And that's fine. If they're like, yeah, well, we knew that he was going to whip these guys that don't play for him in the NHL and are going to stop carrying real quick into shape, that's fine. Then you knew what you were getting into. These are arguably two of the biggest storylines of the World Cup of Hockey, right? Yeah. Yeah, and they both involve Among Tortorella. Among the top five, yes. And, and really nothing about the games themselves. A little no. bit with, with, with patches. Well, yeah, he, what, he played He's well like saying that. I don't know why Finland. I like saying patches. I like that nickname. Is that his actual nickname? I don't even know. I, I believe it is. That works. I don't think so, Jamie so just made that up. So many levels. Yeah, I'm not, well, that, I'm not that creative. He likes clowns. <laughs> Nobody likes clowns. That's true. Unless there are clowns listening, in which case we like hit you. Hit the subscribe button if you're <laughs> a clown. In your tiny car, hit the subscribe button on your tiny radio. <laughs> just everybody pack in there and listen. And then I'll go home and subscribe separately. Um, <laughs> yes, let's, let's get that out there. We do. We love clowns we do. on this show. We, we love, we you, all. Pro clown. love <laughs> you all. We love you all. Jamie, I've had it with your pro-clown agenda. Um, Patch already played well in Game 3. The U.S. and uh, and Canada, those first two games, were very entertaining and certainly the most intense of the exhibition-exhibition games, which which does lend itself to, to maybe foreshadowing a pretty interesting semifinal matchup or whatever if, if they square off later in this tournament. Square off. Square nice. off. 
Thank choice you. of terms. Yes. yes, I'm trying to get to the level of human Perfect. thesaurus, at least, if not dictionary. Um, there, there was some intensity there, and there, I guess there always is going to be when you have Ryan Kessler on the ice throwing Shea Weber into the wall, and that seemed to ratchet things up. It's you can't ask these players not to play hard. I mean, if you want, if you want this tournament to be something, which the NHL desperately, desperately wants it to be something, they have to play hard, and that means they're going to have to hit hard, and the stars are going to have to realize that. You know what? I can't just glide around the ice. They're, they're going to actually play real hockey. It's not the All-Star game. No, and I think they, they have realized that because they all came out playing, at least in that U.S.-Canada game, dropped a puck, and it seemed like they had been playing for a month already. Uh, we can transition now to Las Vegas. These are kind of like two recurring storylines this summer, <laughs> the World Cup of Hockey in Las Vegas. Apparently, Bill Foley knows the name of his team, and now he's not going to tell anybody. <laughs> Cool. So, <laughs> I'm good with that. You know what? I, I don't care anymore. Yeah, I don't care anymore. I've stopped caring about Las Vegas' team name. We had the uh, the beat writer, and we had Carp on, was that last week or was that two weeks ago? They all yeah, run together. They all blends, it's yes. I think it was last week. It was funny because we asked him about the name, and at the time, I, I you know, a week or two weeks ago, I was still kind of interested, like, oh, this is going to be an NHL team. We haven't had a new team in the NHL for a long time. I, I want to know what the name is. And you could tell he was just done with the circus already in <laughs> Vegas about, like, hey, what's our name? Now they've lost me. If they know the name and they're not going to tell us, all right, I'll move on to actual hockey that's being played now. We know it's something with the Knights, and that's it. Which I think we all knew all along. Yeah, which we we? knew like six months ago. So, Speaking of actual hockey, aside from the World Cup, rookie camps opening this week. Finally. All around the NHL. So the the NHL season is finally here. We're obviously here in Arizona where there are a whole lot of prospects worth watching. So can finally start ratcheting up the interest level, I think, on the NHL season. Going to get a glimpse at a lot of potential players coming in. So I'm excited about that. Probably more excited than I am about the World Cup of Hockey. Sorry to say, Luke. And we know how Jamie feels. Well, look, Jamie's wearing all eight World Cup jerseys at the same time right now. It's, the, it's obviously, listeners can't see it. The, but yeah. the most amazing thing is the job he did of you know cutting them up and then sewing them back together. Yeah, it, it's it's not all one on top of another. It's, it's just one giant. Word again, patch. Yeah, again. it's kind of like how they created Team North America and Team Europe. Wow. Um, no, Craig, to your point. A quilt of humanity. <laughs> <laughs> that's poetic. Um, now so that's a DVD. If one of those two teams wins, it's got to be like a quilt Team of Europe. humanity. Is that quilt the name of humanity. podcast? The quilt of humanity. Look, uh, North America's looked really good. I don't understand the, the, and we've talked about this on the show before. I didn't understand the sentiment of, oh yeah, we'll let them play. They'll finish eighth. They look really good so far through three games. Yeah, Vegas had them installed at sixth, I think, in this tournament. Yeah, it doesn't so make any I don't, sense. I don't, you know, again, we talked about this. What do you expect from this team? How do you know? On the one hand, they have insane amounts of elite talent and skill on that team, but they're so young. Will that be a benefit because they have more energy? Will it be a liability because they don't have the experience? I think I think they, uh, they also have something to prove more than most nations that are in this too. So uh, that'll be interesting. Craig, to your point with the rookie camps, we're here in Arizona, as you said. If it's not the most loaded prospect pool around the NHL, it's, it's certainly top two or three. So I'm just I'm just trying to think here. If you could just go to any rookie camp in the NHL this year, which one intrigues you the most? And I know that it's just down the street, but to me the Coyotes might because they have so many different players. Let's take them out of the mix for a second. The other 29 teams, which one would you want to go to the most? I want to see Austin Matthews yeah, me play, too. so I'd probably right. go to Toronto. He was here like two weeks ago playing up the street. Yeah, though, he's too. been skating up at the ice den. Paul Bissonnette's been skating up at the ice den. Lots of lots of people up there, actually, and that, those numbers are swelling now that we're getting closer to camp. But, yeah, if I had to pick one other than the Coyotes, which would be my number one choice, 
I'd go see the Leafs. Okay. Jamie? Same. I mean, the Austin, Austin Matthews is the most intriguing prospect out there right now. A little bit like uh, Connor McDavid fever, but uh, I don't think anybody wants to go up to Edmonton. <laughs> there we go. He has to insult one city every episode. I was, I was worried he wasn't going to get one. That in. could be a Lipinski list. Which cities which has cities? Jamie insulted in the last yeah. month? Which, which has he insulted the most? It's got to be Edmonton or Boston. Edmonton and Boston are probably are, yeah, the they're high on the list. list. Montreal's? Yeah, I mean, that trade made it really simple. Yeah. Maybe yeah. just do a GM power rankings of just things I don't understand. <laughs> well, that, that's an Eisner list right there. Okay. Also with Toronto, too, Mitch Marner. Uh, I mean, it's yeah. not just Matthews. And even uh, Nylander. Nylander. I guess he – will he be there this year, or is he already just considered on the team? He didn't, he didn't play 26 games last year. So I have maybe not he's, seen their rookie camp roster. I'm surprised because you would think Toronto would be plastering that thing everywhere <laughs> and just marketing it uh, into the ground. All right, we're going to preview three teams that are all legitimate playoff contenders this week, correct? And one that's a, a very serious, if, if not the favorite, at least the Stanley Cup contender. We're going to start by looking at the Anaheim Ducks with Eric Stevens of the Orange County Register. All right, we continue our uh, summer preview series by looking at a team that's a legitimate Stanley Cup contender in the Anaheim Ducks. We're joined by Eric Stevens of the OC Register. You can find him on Twitter, at Iceman Cometh. That Eric. Is, that is, by the way, the best Twitter handle of any hockey beat writer out there. I would agree there. with that. That's, that's very true. Thank you uh, for joining us, and welcome to the show. Thanks, fellas. I appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, I don't know how I arrived at Iceman Cometh, uh, but, you know, things sort of worked out, and uh, I guess it was natural to cover in hockey whatsoever. It, it seemed to work out, so I stuck with it. So there's there's no story behind that? <laughs> you know what? Uh, the, the irony is, is that, uh, you know, to, to keep a, a very long and boring story short, um, a, uh, a really good, really good friend of mine just kind of started calling me, gave me the nickname Iceman. This is when we were back in college. Um, and... Uh, you know, it just, and everyone started calling me that. <laughs> and for whatever re- you know, for whatever reason, when I joined Twitter, I just you know, on a lark, just said, "Ah, let's you know, call myself that." And you know, it just so happened, obviously, that uh, you know, covering hockey and whatsoever, things sort of you know, got <laughs> entwined and, and tied together. So it was destiny. It stuck. It we worked with it. So why not keep it? Well, you said some guys started calling you that in college. Is there a story behind that? There's usually a story behind that in college. I, you know, I wish I could say that there was some 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 great even R-rated story behind it or something like that. <laughs> you know, that would that would make for a good uh, podcast here. But uh, uh, no, I mean, I, I you know, I, I think it's just uh, I, I guess it's my general demeanor or, or whatsoever. Uh, I, I think he once referred to me as. Uh, uh, Iceman, Iceman, too cold, too cold, because I'm, you know, I guess he thinks I'm sort of a, uh, more of a cool cat, I guess you could say. So All right. That's how the nickname just kind of came about, and uh, like I said, it just kind of stuck, happened to stick over the years. It's probably good that there's not an X-rated story behind this. We might have some FCC problems or something, so. All right, Eric, let's. Come up with one. Don't worry about it. <laughs> All right, let's get into the Ducks, and I, I want to lead this off just by sort of getting an update. You've got a couple key RFAs. Can, what can you tell us about Hambus Lindholm and Carver Cal? What, what's going on with them right now? Well, yeah, obviously, you know, you know, they both are unsigned. Uh, um, you know, I, I even saw a story. It seems like there's about ten notable ones really across the league uh, that are still without contracts, and you know, these two, you know, who are very. Um, you know, big important pieces to the Ducks. Um, you know, are, are obviously key ones that they have to get done. Uh, 
from you know what I understand is that there have been you know continuing discussions on both. Clearly, you know, the, clearly there hasn't been an agreement, and there's been a different you know opinion. I, th- I think both are certainly trying to get long-term deals done or want to get long-term deals done. But you know, the Dutch, you know, for one, they, they don't have or don't have any longer, uh, a, you know, a, a great amount of money under the salary cap. I want to say they maybe have about $9 million or, or so. And, you know, through the course of, you know, really their, their limited dealings, uh, by and large, over the summer, uh, it, it was clear that more of their focus was, was kind of on what number where Hampus and Ricky are going to come in at mm-hmm. um, so that they can make other moves around them. So that's why they stayed out of the, you know, really the, the, the big free agent market or whatsoever. They didn't want to, you know, with a lot of money already tied up, you know, into their big three of Getzlaff, uh, Perry, and Kessler, they didn't want to, you know, say bring in another big free agent, um, you know, and, and, and have a lot of money tied up over years, uh, you know, when they've got already got all these commitments. So where it's, where it's at right now, I think with the agents, I think they both uh, wanted to wait until after the World Cup hockey. They're both playing for Sweden, um, uh, in it, or at least uh, Hampus is, um, with Ricky's injury. But uh, they both wanted to wait until, until after the World Cup. You know, and obviously next week there's you know going to be a little bit uh, you know there could be a little bit of a window. I shouldn't say next week because next week is camp, but um, you know once they're done, there's going to be a little bit of a window to where you know they can really you know you know find find some sort of way to meet whether it's going to be on two-year bridge deals or you know maybe a, let's say one of them on a long-term deal. Uh, or, or another, and be able to fit both under the salary cap and obviously retain both. There's no question they they need both. They want them, um, but they they also want to have them at figures that they're going to be comfortable with, uh, more you know particularly over the long term. Okay, that leads nicely actually into this sort of big picture question that I want to ask you. And you and I talked about it a little bit already online. But what's the internal feeling? about the Ducks right now. When you when you look at this roster, there's there's youth and talent on the blue line and in goal, but most of these forwards are north of 30 right now. Is this franchise at a crossroads right now, Eric? Yeah, you know, I, I think that is a good term uh, for that. I think they're reaching that. Um, you know, whether, say, this is, um, you know, whether this is sort of the make or break or the final year mm-hmm. in, a, in a championship window or, or something along those lines, you know, I think they're definitely reaching that because, you know, like you mentioned, Craig, of the, of the makeup of the team, uh, you know, their, their biggest offensive guys, you know, right now at this stage, um, you know, are, are over 30, and, you know, you wonder how much longer they're going to be able to deliver front-line play, um, you know, and, and, and then obviously, you know, without – you know, other, say, big support pieces brought in, you know, say, Joel Ward-type players, things of that nature, um, you know, then theoretically more is going to be, you know, they're going to be leaned on even more this year. Um, you know, so and, and there's not a whole lot of, say, you know, young forward talent, uh, you know, 
high end talent coming through the system. Mm. It's all on the blue line. I mean, they they you know this, their blue line is stacked. I mean, they they still got Shea Theodore and Brandon Montour, guys who are still trying to crack the NHL. Uh, you know, so all their young, really high end talent is on the blue line. Um, but as far as up front, you know, you know beyond Nick Ritchie, um, you know, coming up, uh, you know, as a, as a you know a, a, a decent prospect. Uh, they still got to wait on some guys, and that's why they have to sign Raquel, and and, and that's why because of the makeup of their team, you know that this could be one of those you know years where you know they've got to they've got to do something because um, you know after this uh, after this season, you know you could ha- be going through a period where they're going to have to maybe look uh, at some you know whether it's rebuilding or at least retooling, whatever word uh, that you want to use, they're going to have to look at that uh, because they're going to have to inject some, uh, you know, some more, uh, you know, young, you know, blood, young blood that Arizona currently has uh, into the lineup. Eric, along those lines, how, how important are Raquel and, and Silverberg to the future? And they both scored 20 goals last season. Are the Ducks counting on them for at least 20 goals again this year behind Perry and Getzlaff? Well, I think they're going to have to. Uh, you know, they're, they're going to have to. Jacob Silverberg, like you mentioned, he, he's a really good two-way player. Um, you know, uh, you know, he's excellent defensively. Um, it, it's the offensive output that, at least until last year, has been lacking. Um, so, is last year an outlier, or is it maybe the you know the start of? him becoming, say, sort of a consistent 20-goal threat. He certainly has the, the, the shot, uh, the NHL quality, you know, wrist shot whatsoever to, to be able to do that. And with Raquel, uh, he's one of the most talented players on the team. I mean, he, he's one of the few, very few, who can create offense on his own. Um, you know, we, we, we've seen last year whatsoever, you know, in some highlight uh, films where you know he's able to split through defenders, and he's able to go around them, and you know, and 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 be able to create offense on his own. You know, whereas maybe guys like you know Kessler or you know even Perry, whatsoever, need guys to sort of set them up. So uh, his growth and the fact that he's 23, uh, his growth uh, as an offensive uh, player, you know, and and maybe a potential offensive force is key. So again, because they don't have uh, you know, say uh, a whole lot in their system, and you know because you know maybe the most notable free agent that they signed was Antoine Vermette. You know, in the off season here, they're going to be leaning on those three, and that's where you need some some support scoring, and that's where Raquel and Silverberg are going to come in. Speaking of Antoine Vermette, we're very familiar with him out here in Arizona. What are the expectations for him this season? Oh, I think uh, that they're going to expect with what what others uh have and that's uh he's going to certainly give them some added depth there um at the center position or you know or even if you know he's a player that you know we've seen too um if needed uh you know you can move him uh to the wing you know perhaps you can put antoine in the middle we know what a, a great face-off ace that he is you know perhaps you can put him in the middle and you can move uh, Raquel, you know, to the wing, which they did at uh, the Ducks did at times last year. Um, so, uh, and you know, given the makeup of the team, I, I I think that he could have a potentially big role uh, for this slot if they stick him in the middle. 
you know, you've got to obviously get Slap and Kessler as your top two centers. Um, but after that, you know, whether it's you have Raquel as your number three or if you put, you know, Antoine as your number three, that's, hey, that's, that's a very key role uh, on the team. And with Nate Thompson um, out again long term uh, because of injury, that sort of whittles away at that depth. And that's why he was, a, you know, once uh, obviously Arizona bought him out, that's why the Ducks immediately pursued him, you know, along with other teams. So um, I think that he, uh, you know, he potentially could have a big role on this team. You know, he's 34, but, uh, um, you know, and, and you might think of that as and say, uh, you know, an age where guys are really on the on the downside of their careers. But he says he does, that he, you know, he's, he's in great shape. He feels like, uh, that he's got much more uh, to give, uh, you know, in his career, and uh, he doesn't feel like a 34-year-old. So, whether that's going to translate on the ice, uh, certainly the Ducks are going to need it. They're going to they're going to need it. They, they're not going to need a player that uh, who's going to all of a sudden age overnight. Eric, I want to back up just to sort of wrap up what we were talking about earlier with this team's window. When you look at what this team has done in the postseason the last few years, how did the Ducks escape? the feeling that they've given it their best shot and they've come up short? Well, i tell you what. The, uh, it's a great question. I'm sure that that is a thought that while they won't admit publicly, um, you know, whether players or, or, and or coaches, um, you know, that I'm, I'm sure that's a question that is, you know, in the back of their minds that's run through the brass uh, here. That's certainly one of the reasons why Randy Carlisle was hired, um, you know, as the, you know, and after they gave uh, Bruce Boudreaux his walking papers after another Game 7 loss at home. Um, you know, the, he, he's brought in here to, you know, get, put this team basically over the top, put, put this veteran-led group um, over the top, you know, get them past these, whether it's these early exits in the playoffs or, again, these Game 7 losses at home, being able to win big games when they need to close teams out. Um, you know, the thinking with Bob Murray is, is that, you know, maybe Randy is going to be the one that's going to be able to match up better behind the bench. You know, when you're dealing, you know, if you're, if you're in a playoff series, dealing with the Peter Laviolettes or the Daryl Sutters or the, uh, even Peter DeBurs or the Joel Quinville's of the world. Um, no, you, you, you have to be thinking, like, like I said, they won't talk, say that publicly. You know, they're going to, publicly, they're going to say, you know, well, they, they feel like they can contend for two, three years or whatsoever. But I think privately, they realize that they've got to fulfill um, their potential, you know, in, in terms of the playoffs. And, you know, a Stanley Cup contender, you know, they've been more of a Stanley Cup pretender other than 2015 where they got the Game 7 of the Western Conference Finals. You know, other than that season when they got close, you know, this has been a group that really hasn't in recent years, you know, say, realized all of its talent and, you know, gotten to the promised land. Eric, I guess down that line, what's the hindsight view of, of what Bruce Boudreaux was able to do there? I mean, that's four division titles, but obviously not the playoff success that they were ever looking for. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, when you, when you look at his tenure, I mean, there's no question. He won a ton of games, and and, and, and it's in, in a way, it's uh, I don't know if it's a shame is the right word, but you know his his tenure in Anaheim mirrored a lot of that of, of his tenure in Washington, where there's no question 
over the long 82-game haul, you know, this is a guy who is able to uh, manage his team, you know, very well over the long haul. Um, obviously, you know, they, they, you know, improve them immediately and have sustained improvement in, in the, the division titles that you see are, are, are definitely proof of that. Um, it's, you know, it, it's crunch time, though. It's those games uh, six and sevens. It's those times when, um, you know, you, uh, when you had a chance to close out teams and for whatever reason maybe deliver some of your worst playoff games in those moments. Um, so it's sort of, it's a bit of a star-crossed, uh, you know, five years uh, that Bruce had in Anaheim. You know, I think there's a, a lot of people who are thankful for his contributions, uh, you know, to the team. But there, I think there's also a lot who, you know, felt like in those big moments, whether you want to say he got outcoached or, um, you know, his teams weren't exactly prepared for those big moments, you know, that's going to be the knock uh, against him. And, again, that's why – Randy Carlisle was brought in. What are so, the what are the details in, inside that, Eric? When you when you talk, you alluded to this when you were talking about matching lines earlier with a uh, Joel Quenville. What were what was the internal belief about Bruce Boudreaux's failings in, in those big moments? You know, I tell you what, I can I can say, and, and, and talking maybe with um, you know a couple players, say off the record, uh, you know, or so. I think whether it's preparation and in-game adjustment. I think that's where, you know, the feeling was is that Bruce was lacking in that category. Um, and that's where, like I said, it, it leads to coaching and, you know, it leads to going up, you know, against those guys, you know, who, who've gotten it done, you know, with those teams, those respected coaches that I've mentioned. Um, and that's where they feel that maybe Randy is, whatever you say about him whether you know he's not a you know a guy who loves puck possession who you know who, who many in Toronto said you know hasn't adapted you know to today's NHL you know say very well or whatsoever the things that they say about Randy is is that he's a terrific bench coach and that you know again in talking with some you know guys who wanted to rather you know at least wanted to stay off the record um, you know said that you know they feel like they, they feel a little more comfortable with him because they know that Randy's going to have his teams prepared and that when there's an in-game adjustments or between period adjustments that needed need to be made, you know, decisions that need to be made on the spot that Randy's more likely uh, just going to going to be able to make those correct ones. Is that the biggest difference that he brings compared to Bruce? The hiring was met with a lot of Concerned questions from outside of the organization. He's he's kind of known as an anti-possession coach in a game that possession is starting to be more and more prevalent, both from the fans and internally. Is that those small adjustments, those in-game adjustments, the ability to match lines? Is that what the organization sees as the biggest difference between him and Bruce? I believe so. Um, you know, uh, and even Bob Murray. I'm I'm going to paraphrase uh, because I, I don't remember the exact quote, but I I know that. You know, when in, in the press conferences, you know, whether it was to terminate Bruce or to hire Randy, you know, I know, Bob, that that was one of the things that he certainly mentioned. I mean, he, he's a GM who feels like, you know, certainly he has a team that can win now, and he wants to win, win games now. And whether directly or indirectly, 
the thing the, the common thread that came up that came up is is that Randy is a great bench coach. Uh, and, and and I've talked to multiple people, you know, over the summer, uh, you know, in, in conversations that I've, you know, whether it's players, other executives, others, uh, you know, uh, you know, friend, uh, friends of Randy, people who know him, whatsoever. That's the thing, the common thread that they mentioned that he's a guy that has his teams prepared. He knows what to do in situations, you know, in different situations in games, you know, whether you're up a goal, down a goal. Whether you know whether you see where, you know another team has made adjustments, you know that Randy is going to be able to, you know make those. Now again, the hiring comes with some significant concerns, and you know a lot of them, you know even a lot of Mun Ducks fans, there was a lot of head scratching, because you know they remember, you know what happened in Toronto, you know and all the criticism that you know his teams, you know were playing maybe say an outdated dump and chase style. Uh, you know, compared to how the league has now adjusted, you know, and it's really turned into a speed league that obviously favors puck possession. So, you know, is he an anachronism? I know Randy at the time, he said, you know, he's no Neanderthal. He's in, in his two years, you know, since uh, being behind the bench. He says that he's seen how teams play. He feels like he's adapted. Uh, you know, to that in some ways. Now the proof is going to be in the pudding when they hit the ice, and we see that on the ice. But, um, you know, it's certainly the de- the decision to hire him comes with some real some real questions, no doubt. Um, but they feel like the way the make the makeup of this team right now, the, the fact that it has a veteran group that needs to win right now, and that this is not say a rebuilding team that you can hire a younger coach with and have them grow together. This is why they you know, went with Randy instead. Erica, John Gibson has looked great in goal, really, and I guess a fairly small sample size with the Ducks. He's looked great on the international stage as well. But the most he's ever started in terms of games in an NHL season is 38 last year. In your mind, and I guess even in the team's mind, do you guys think he's ready to do 55, 60 games in net? Well, you know, they, they, they've made their bet with him. <laughs> so he's going to have to. Um, you know, I, I, I definitely think, and I've been told this, that they're not seeing him right now as a, say, 65-70 game goalie yet. You know, they realize that there's still a developmental process with him. Because, like you said, you know, he doesn't have, say, a real extensive track record behind him. You know, he hasn't been, say, the number one goalie you know, for a long stretch, you know, of any season. Um, but I, obviously they sort of made a decision between the two, you know, in, in re-signing him for three years last year, you know, of going forward with him because they believe in his talent. Um, and we've seen what he's done on the international level. So I think what they're going to go, uh, you know, with, and one of the reasons why they brought in Jonathan Bernier, you know, after letting, uh, you know, after trading Freddie Anderson, um, is, is that, you know, yeah, they're kind of making him the de facto number one goalie right now, but that, you know, it, having a veteran like Bernier maybe pushing him um, will, you know, keep him playing at, say, a high level as he develops into, say, you know, a 55-game, 60-game goalie. And then we'll see, you know, if he has, you know, whether it's the Santa, whether it's being able to stay healthy over that uh, entire period. Um, we'll see if after that, he's going to be able to, 
become, say, the 65-70 game, you know, all-star type goalie that, at least from talent, a lot of talent standpoint, a lot of people believe he can be. Eric, last question for us, and we'll let you get back to whatever's left of your summer, but looking at Ryan Getzloff's stats, the last couple seasons seen a little bit of a decline in production. I wonder if there's any internal concern about that, or if they still feel that he is, you know, one of those elite centers around the league, a guy who can carry this franchise. Well, yeah, I, I think that they do believe that he is still a, a guy that can be, say, at the front of the pack. Um, you know, uh, whether you know, can he carry the uh, this franchise all on his own? You know, that can certainly be up for debate. Um, but I think there's no question that they feel like, you know, this is a guy that, you know, he, he I think, identifies their team, rightly or wrongly, um, and that, you know, he's a guy that is still, a, you know, a number one franchise-type center that can be at the front uh, of their team. Now, again, he's going to be 31, you know, maybe, you know, entering, you know, becoming 32 next year. You know, they've never counted on or, you know, expected whatsoever for him to be, say, a 90-point, 100-point guy whatsoever. For a lot of years, they didn't have that kind of, say, explosive talent around him to be able to just rack up points. Uh, And he's not wired that way either. He's not a guy where he he doesn't care about points. He just cares about uh, winning. And I think he really, truly does care as a captain, uh, you know, as as a leader. Um, he's always seen himself as that, but you know that said, you know you've got to be able to put up, uh, you got to be able to put up goals and, and and points when you're in his position. He's still one of the fine playmakers in this league. You know, nobody questions that. You know, uh, that ability in him to be able to see the ice and set team teammates up. You know, uh, you know whatsoever. But he likes, you know, the Dutch in, in many ways. He needs to be kind of also the guy that is able to deliver in the biggest moments, in the biggest games. And, you know, in, in some ways, in, in, in these playoff failures that they've had, you know, he, he's been part of that, where he hasn't been, you know, the one where, he, where he's made critical errors or, he, you know, scored the big goals or whatsoever. Uh, you know, so, you know, with, with Ryan Getzlaff, they they still are a firm believer in him, but uh, you know they haven't said that because of their need to win now and whatsoever. He needs to be a guy that can step up, and if they're in another game six or a game seven when they need to close a team out, he needs to be the the, the guy you know say at the front of the line, delivering the big goal you know to to say either push them on to another round. You know, or perhaps what they ultimately, you know, want to be, and that Stanley Cup champion. Well, Eric, thanks for the time. Great insight. We look forward to reading your stuff all season long. All right, guys. Hey, thank you so much. Appreciate it. We'll see you at the arena a few times as well. Take care, Eric. Uh, You guys have a good one. Okay. So good stuff there from uh, Eric Stevens of the Orange County Register. It's it's interesting. You know, you look at the Ducks, and I think the 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 first sort of impression of them is oh yeah this is always a playoff team they're always right there contending for the cup and yet you look a little closer at their stats and and the depth up front really and then you know a guy like john gibson has looked phenomenal but he's also played 62 career nhl games and he may have to start 62 nhl games this year for them to to really kind of repeat what they've been able to do lately and you talk to somebody like eric who's around the team all the time there are some question marks with Mm -hmm. that club 
Yeah, it, w one of the things that just struck me, when we're talking about Getz, you know, when, when they talk about not needing him to be, I mean, how many guys reach 100 points? But when you, when you mention in, in, this, in the same interview that they're not bringing in guys to help up front, they're not surrounding him, not going out and getting more scoring, well, then don't you have to rely on Ryan Getzlav just a little bit more to produce a little bit more for you to get to that next level that you've been seeking for several years now? It seems to me that you do, and with his production down the last couple seasons, and again, maybe that's tied to the guys around him, you got to be concerned about this. And I know we've talked about windows, and I think it's pretty clear to everybody that their, their window is short now. It may have already closed, to be honest, but I, I don't know how they don't rely on Getzloff, Corey Perry, just a few guys in this lineup to really carry them when you look at the lack of depth. Well, I mean, a guy like Getzloff, even with the, the sort of regression, still led the team with 63 points. You remember last year, this team started horribly. I mean, they were, they were terrible to start the season. They came yes. surging back, and then it seemed to catch up with them in the playoffs. Corey Perry also started horribly, but finished the year with 34 goals. But there's your top two point producers. Then you had Kessler at 53, and there's really nobody else. Raquel and Silverberg each had 20 goals. There was only, what, six guys on the team with double-digit goals, and one of them was a 10-goal season out of Hampus Lindholm. I mean, there's, there's some serious scoring depth issues there. And as Eric mentioned, there's nothing in the system either, so it, it, it's a really interesting predicament. You, you wonder in some cases, when you, when you hear about the depth that they have in their system defensively, do you need to make a trade here? You know, do you, do you need to acquire that piece? And maybe that's something that you do at the trade deadline if you're still believing you're in the mix for a cup. But, I, I, you know, when I look at this roster again, I, I see major problems there in terms of depth and over-reliance on their stars. And then stars, as you've mentioned before, that have not always stepped up as of late. And they don't have a choice. I mean, those are the guys they're going to have to go to war with. And uh, Eric made a great point throughout that, whether they, you know, whether they believe or they don't believe that the decline in production for Getzloff and others have been a problem, it's been a problem, and they're going to have to correct it. And I think he made the great point that if, if they go back to a Game 7 in the postseason, Ryan Getzloff has to be the one at the front of the line to make the big play, and not only for himself but for the team as a whole. I also remember watching them early last season in the three-on-three -three overtime situations, and, and obviously everybody here remembers the Getzlaff drop pass to a Coyote. <laughs> but uh, He did that a few times he, last year, he did. actually. <laughs> I mean, the three-on-three -three overtime is, is better suited for certain teams. The Ducks are not one of those teams, at least not to their, their best players. You know, They have other guys that can step in there in a three-on-three -three situation, but ideally you want your best players uh, best suited for that role. I just, of all the playoff teams from the Western Conference that we've looked closely at in these previews so far. If you're looking at one of those top eight teams to drop out, I don't think Anaheim's going to drop out, but they have the most question marks of any that we've really looked at closely yet. You remember how the Coyotes beat them all those times early in the season, too. It was there, it was so glaring, the difference in speed oh, yeah. between these teams. The first time was alarming. They just they just couldn't handle the Coyotes' speed. So when, if you're the Ducks and you didn't make any moves in the offseason, so you're basically going to war with the same roster. How are you not concerned about that? Especially, I mean, look at the team that won the cup. Yeah. What, what'd they win it with? And who's your best young forward prospect? It's mm -hmm. Nick Ritchie. He's not a speed guy. Yeah. You know, if anything, he's, he's more in the mold of a guy like maybe Getzlaff from, you know, five, ten years ago. Do you think this Carlisle – I get what Eric's saying, and that, that was some fantastic insight, by the way, both on yeah. Bruce Boudreaux's failings and what Randy Carlisle can bring in the immediate future because they are looking at the immediate future and nothing else with this group. Do you think that GM Bob Murray's future is tied to this hire as well? I mean, if this thing blows up, if, I, if Anaheim, like you said, if, if it goes really far south, if they miss or they, you know, they end up a low seed and lose in the first round, 
Is Bob Murray's job in jeopardy at this point? I think, uh, maybe this won't answer your question, but I think it would be easier for Carlisle to come in and lose the room, as weird as that sounds, than a new coach. If he comes in and everything's going well, then the players can say, look, this is what we were missing with Bruce Boudreaux. We told you that Boudreaux just didn't have this, and we knew Carlisle did. But if Carlisle comes in and things go really terribly this year, I don't know how he gets them back because he's already been through this one. So they've already heard his voice. So if things go well, that's great. But if things go bad, then they're like, why, are, why is he still our coach? Yeah. And all of a sudden, one year feels like six. And they don't exactly have a large window to make this mistake. No, and that's probably mistake, why they brought him back. Yeah. Because they have to win now. All right, we're going to transition over to uh, Tampa Bay. We're going to talk to Roy Cummings of today's Slapshot next. All right, we're joined now by a man who covers the team. I think a, potentially all three of us think we'll win the Stanley Cup this year, or at least get there. Uh, Roy Cummings joins us now covering the Tampa Bay Lightning. You can find him on Twitter at NFL, not NHL, NFL. Uh, he joins us now, and, and Roy, I'll start you right off, I guess. Is this the most complete team in the NHL? And if not, what do you think this uh, this Lightning Club is missing? Boy, that's a great question. I, I don't know that it is missing anything. What it's missing, I guess, is uh, that ability to finish, uh, you know, uh, two years ago in the Stanley Cup Finals, and then last year uh, couldn't quite uh, finish it off in the East Conference Finals. So, yeah, it's, it's really just, a, I think, a finishing touch, and maybe that has to do with, you know, maybe their goaltender staying healthy when uh, when he can and uh, when it matters most, which is in the playoffs. But uh, you're right in terms of what you see on the ice. Uh, yeah, it's all there. I mean, it's uh, it's gotten much better defensively in front of the goaltender. The goaltender is as good as there is, and uh, the scoring potential of this team is, is superb. And you know, I think they got one of the smarter coaches in the league. Certainly, he's got a system that works, and uh, it's been proven now over the last couple of years. And uh, they got people looking at him. That's for sure. Roy, before we dive into this season, just want to get an update from you. What's the latest on the new, the two Nikitas, restricted free agents, Kucherov yeah. and Nesterov? Right. Uh, that's kind of mo- the mo- most pressing question that everybody's wondered about right now with these guys, and uh, really not a whole lot has happened. And, and part of that is because not a whole lot has to happen right now. I, I think the Lightning are very confident still that they're going to get something done with Nikita Kucherov. I don't think they're as concerned about... Uh, Nesterov, as they are, Kucherov, obviously, uh, not as big a piece, but still an important piece. Um, I don't think there's any concern about Nesterov in the long term. Um, and and uh, to be honest, I don't think there's a whole lot of concern about Kucherov either. They've got until opening day. At that point, you know, that's when these things get done sometimes, is when there's a real deadline. And here's the other thing. You know, you've heard some talk probably about, you know, possibly Kucherov sitting out some of training camp or uh, part of the preseason, perhaps the exhibition games. You know, that's not going to be an issue, I don't think, from the Lightning standpoint, because he's about to play about three three weeks of good, good solid competition uh, uh, in real games as it is in the World Cup. So if Russia goes away, goes away that he gets some, uh, plenty of time in there, I, I think they'll probably just you know give him a week or two off from training camp anyway, maybe. Um, so I, I don't think there's a big issue there. Uh, they can get him in under the, under the cap, get the deal done. Steve Eisenman's confident about that. Uh, they can do it without having to really do much with the roster, but if they need to do some things with the roster, there's a couple of players they can move, you know, potentially that would give them a little bit more uh, wiggle room in terms of the cap. But uh, I, I don't think it's an issue. I just think it's probably a matter of they just haven't really gotten together on this. Uh, you know, this is it's starting to look a little bit like the uh, the situation they had with Steven Stamkos a year ago where Steve Eisenman came out and said, my number one priority is to get Steven Stamkos signed. Uh, it didn't happen. It took a year for it to happen. But, you know, the other thing about this is <clears throat> uh, everybody except Nikita Kucherov, who's been in a situation to sign a new deal with this team, is actually taking a little bit less money uh, to make sure that they can stick around and be a part of this. If Nikita Kucherov doesn't want to be a part of it, 
Well, 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 I guess we'll get that answer here very soon. But uh, my, my guess is that he'll be getting nudged uh, by, by people like uh, Stephen Stamkos and uh, uh, certainly uh, many of the other guys that, um, that uh, Alex Kalorn and some of the others have decided, hey, I want to be a part of this, Victor Hedman, and uh, I'll take a little bit less money to do it. You can do the same. We're, we're about winning the Stanley Cup here, guys. And, and speaking of Stephen Stamkos, can you walk us through the, the the Stamkos Derby itself, how the Bolts decided to keep him, and why Stamkos decided to ultimately stay in Tampa Bay? Well, you know, I think the Lightning did, they were smart. Uh, they laid out their, you know, their best deal early on and said, look, this is the best we're going to be able to do. And if it works for you, then we have a deal at some point. And if it doesn't, well, then let us know. And, and I think from the other standpoint, uh, I think Steven Santos did his due diligence, and he, and he checked around, and, and he found out, you know, what he can make elsewhere, and that he actually could make some money elsewhere. And then I think he sat down with, you know, probably more himself than anything else, and decided, what do I really want to do? Do I do I want to go for the money? Do I want to chase, a, uh, you know, a few extra thousand, hundred thousand dollars, or maybe even a million or more, uh, in another place, or do I want to continue to be a part of this, not just just this organization, but this community here in Tampa Bay, this team that we've got here that we've built that is, as you guys said, I mean, let's say it's right on the cusp. They were right there in position to win a cup a year ago, right there in a position to, to go to the cup again this past season. Uh, it's not easy to get into that situation. You've got a, you've got a team here that, that's right there, ready to do it. And, and I think he, he probably looked at it and said, look, I love it in Tampa Bay. I love my teammates. I, I like the coach. I may not love the coach, but I like the coach. <laughs> and I really love the idea that I can win a Stanley Cup here and be a part of something, and maybe we win two or three if we can keep this group together. And you know what? As the leader of this team, I'm going to show guys just how much I care. I'll take a little bit less money to play here and keep this thing together. If everybody else is willing to do the same, I'll, I'll, I'll certainly do it, and I'll be the lead guy. And I, and I think that's what happened. I think he talked to some of the others and said, look, if I do this, you know, would you be willing to come back too for a little bit less if that's what it takes? And I think he probably got... Uh, Acknowledgements on that, and everybody said, "You know what? Let's let's keep this thing going." You know, Roy, that that could have been a distraction last year. The Jonathan Drouin situation could have been a distraction last year. It's it's impressive what the Lightning were able to do with that stuff going on. So when you flip to this year, it's a couple part question. But a, what becomes of Ben Bishop if they already decided that Vasilevsky is the future in net? And whether they have or not, are those sort of rumors and trade rumors surrounding Bishop? Do you think those could be a distraction this year? You know. I, I don't know if it's going to be that much of a distraction because it's, it's kind of been there anyway. I mean, we've known now for a year or two that uh, this is you know, the, somebody's idea of the game plan for the Lightning is that uh, at some point they'll, they'll, they'll dispatch Ben Bishop, move him off, and uh, trade him and get rid of the salary, and that uh, they'll move on with the, with the next goaltender. And, you know, I'm not so sure that's the case. I, I really don't. I, I think Steve Eisenman, I think, is committed right now, financially and otherwise, to, to having Ben Bishop on this team throughout this season. I think he's ready to roll the dice, much like he did with Steven Stamkos a year ago, hmm. and say, look, if I lose him for nothing, I lose him for nothing. But I, I think I've got my best chance to win a Stanley Cup with him this year, and so I'll take my chance. Uh, if I can win a cup this year and then I lose my goaltender, well, you know what? The Blackhawks won three cups, and every year they ended up losing somebody because of it. Um, if this is the guy I lose, well, we do have another guy waiting in the wings, and, and he's a good one. So, um, But I also think that you know, part of that is dictated by the fact that you know, when Bishop wasn't in last year, they were solid, but maybe not as good. And, and I think they realize that their best chance to win a cup is with him, and I think that they'll, uh, 
you know, what they'll do is they'll see how, how far how far can we ride them. And if they're still in it uh, come the trade deadline, I think still Ben Bishop still stays part of the lighting. I think they're committed to him for this season. Let's talk about that then. When you look at the cap, how do they how do they do that? How do they do all this maneuvering when they, you know, after the season they have to resign Tyler Johnson, Andre Pilat, uh, Druan as well. They've, they've got a lot of issues coming after this season. How do, how do they manage all that? And and what's your take on how Eiserman has managed everything to date? I think he's done a masterful job of doing it. He really has because you're right. It, it, it's a difficult chess game, and some of the pieces it seems do not fit. The good news for the Lightning is that right now they've got about $6.2 million in cap space. Not bad. Um, the realistic part of that is probably about $5 million. It's probably not as much as six point two because you've got some other things that you've got to do here still. But the good news is you've got a couple of guys that are going to be co- could possibly come off of that cap. Ryan Callahan, Belteri Spilfola. There's two right there that when you think about it long term, are they really part of your core? You know, at times it seems they are, but then there's times when you say, look, we could probably lose that guy. So I think some cap space gets released or relieved here uh, within the next uh, 12 to 14 months, and uh, and that probably gives them the opportunity uh, to keep the core together. And let's face it, this is in the NHL nowadays, and again, I, I mentioned it before, you saw it with the Blackhawks. You're going to have to lose some good players. You're going to have to give up on some guys some guys that you even think might be part of your core. You know, who is the Patrick Sharp that, uh, that, the, that the Lightning end up giving up on uh, at the end of this season to make sure they keep that real young core together? It probably is a Ryan Callahan. It probably is a Valtteri Coppola. Maybe they're gone even sooner than that because of uh, these deals that they have to make. But uh, you're right. It's, it's, it's a tough chess game to play, but I, I, think, um, I think Steve Eisenman has done a tremendous job. And, be honest with you, I, I wouldn't be surprised to find out that a few GMs are, haven't called him up and said, what exactly are you doing down there to make all this work? Because it seems like <laughs> every time you're, you're up against it, you're in the corner, you've got nothing left to pay out, you still pay it out, you still, um, you know, still, you still make it work. So I, I think some people are probably trying to look at his books and say, I just how you making this happen, my friend. You, you mentioned Callahan and Philpolo, and I wanted to ask you about those because I had another question about them, but you... How difficult will it be to to move those contracts? First of all, they have no move clauses, and then uh, again, you 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 if you get to the point of an expansion draft, you, you we know already that they have to protect those guys. How easy do you think it's going to be to get those contracts off the books? If in fact those are the guys they identify? Yeah, you're right. It's um, it's not going to be easy. They do have the no trade, but you know I would think that a guy like Callahan in particular, you know, I think he understands. And, and knows what the business is about. And I think Valtteri Popola does, too. I think if the team came to him and said, all right, look, you know, we just have to do this for the better of the team, you know, is he going to be selfish and say, well, I still want to stay in Tampa Bay, and I'm going to, you know, or he could be moved and continue to make the same amount of money, and hopefully it's a move to, a, you know, maybe a contending team. I, I, I think they would probably handle it, you know, that way. And what the Lightning have to do is give them an opportunity to go somewhere that makes sense for them. And, and that's part of it. And the other thing, I suppose, at the end of the day is you can always just, uh, you know, buy them out. And they've got that opportunity still. So if that's what has to happen, you don't, you don't save as much, but you still save some. And in some cases, almost half. So there's always a buyout option, and they probably don't want that. So I think, you know, what they probably do is go to them and say, look, we need you to, we need you to agree to a, to a trade here. I know you don't want to go. We don't really want to get rid of you, but it's just part of the business of the, of the, of the league. And this is how we got to do it. I think if they give him an option, um, you know, maybe they'll take him up on it. Yeah, and, and Philip in particular has a, has a modified no-trade clause, so he'll be a little bit easier to move 
than Ryan Callahan would be. But th- I want to go back to one of the younger players. Jonathan Druin had an interesting season, I say to say the least, <laughs> last year. I- is everything cool now, or are the residual effects of what happened there and what happened in Syracuse, is that all gone now? I really think that, that it, it is as cool as it could possibly be. And it's miraculous that it, that it turned around this way. That it, And really, you know, what happened, I, and I wrote about this uh, back uh, shortly after the playoffs and kind of the, the whole history behind the whole situation with uh, Jonathan Drouin and, and where the Lightning kind of saw things change for him. Is, you know, when they had to bring him up because of the injuries, and uh, I think it was the last thing Steve Eisenman wanted to do because I think he really wanted to take a hard line and, and just send the message. And, you know, but what happened is Jonathan Drouin came through and, and did exactly what they wanted him to do. He played harder than they thought he would. You know, there was always a lot of questions about you know, how much heart does he have, how much jam does he have, how hard is he going to play when, you know, when we're really up against it. Uh, is he going to go in there and, and get physical, or is he just going to be a perimeter guy looking for the, you know, the, the cherry pick or, or whatever? And they found out that this is a guy who, even if he's not 100 percent, even if he's hurt a little bit, he's going to go throw his body around. And, and I think they just saw a different element or a different side of Jonathan Drouin that they just hadn't seen a lot of before. Um, and I think it answered a lot of questions. And I think once they saw that, they said. Okay, if, if this is the guy we're going to get, we're all in. And um, you know, and all from Jonathan Jordan's standpoint, all he wanted was an opportunity to, to show him that. And once the opportunity came, he took advantage of it. He took advantage of it in a special way. And I think from that point on, it's kind of been okay. This is what we were looking for. This is what I wanted. And both teams, both sides came together and said, okay, well, if we knew we were going to get this all along, never would have had this problem in the first place. And so now I think it's just a matter of. The expectations are, are high, and it's, as long as Jonathan Drouin meets them and continues to play at the level that he did, that he did after he came up and played in the playoffs last year, they're going to be happy. Uh, how could they not? Because, uh, let's face it, uh, arguably their best player in the playoffs last year. Roy, you look at this lineup, and we've obviously talked about how intimidating, I guess, it can be for other teams. But there are still some pretty good prospects in the system, which is amazing to me. Uh, Braden Point, probably chief among them. In your mind, who are the top prospects, and are, is there even any room for them to crack this lineup this year? That's just it. I don't think there is. Braden Point is probably, the, you're right, the number one guy, but I mean, where does he fit in? Um, at some point, injuries will hit, and they'll have to deep down, you know, dip down into that, uh, you know, that talent pool. Um, but, but there are. There's still a couple of kids, and uh, Braden Point is the one that I look at the most and say he's probably the closest to being ready. But, you know, is he ready, ready? I don't know. I, I don't think anybody's really ready to step up uh, outside of Slayer Cuckoo, I think that's the one that you look at and say, there's a guy who's already shown it. He'll be up here. Um, but I don't know if we see Braden Point this year. I don't think you have to see him. Again, because we're, we're still talking you know, about Delphi Sopola being a part of this team, the Callahan's being a part of this team. There's still a lot of veterans that can, they can uh, you know, uh, both offensively and defensively, that can uh, make an impact. So I don't think you see a lot of the, uh, uh, the prospects come up this year. Maybe late. Um, you know, if, if they've got the opportunity, if, uh, if the minor league team isn't uh, in the playoffs, maybe that happens a little bit. But I don't think you see a lot of that happening this year. I think they, they feel pretty good about the depth they've got as it is. And there's just not a lot of room for these guys right now. A year from now, it could be a little bit different. But right now, I don't think you see a lot of those prospects getting on this team. Roy, really good stuff. Thanks for the time. And, and enjoy what should be a, a probably a pretty fun season in Tampa Bay this year. Yeah, looking forward to it, guys, for sure. All right, thanks a lot. That's uh, that's Roy Cummings right there of today's Slapshot, actually. A, a tremendous insight on a team that I think, like I said, if the three of us aren't all going to pick them to win the Cup, at least to to be on the very short list of contenders. And it's 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 funny. You know, you, you, 
you talk to a guy that's around that team all the time and you can kind of pick his brain and get just kind of a, a sense of what the uh, the mood is around the team and just you know all the ins and outs of, of uh, their salary structure and everything there's there's just there's no holes on that team no, I mean, they I really are that. the most complete team it's interesting to hear him talking about the possibility of re-signing ben bishop too because he i mean if steve eiserman can find a way to get rid of those contracts that he discussed and and, and make all that happen and and sign the guys that they need to sign in the offseason you know i know we've 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 probably we should probably come up with a lipinski list of the best gms in the league and he's right there he'd probably be on the short list you know we talked about david poyle we've talked about our guy b Yes, in B. Calgary, B's we pretty just solid. refer to him as B. Well, you do. We don't know him quite as well as you do. But Brad <laughs> Tree Living is, is pretty Steve Eiserman, I mean, really. I mean, as Roy said, he's done a masterful job down there. And, and as this team goes into the season, I, I'm guessing, like you said earlier, all three of us are probably picking this team to win the Stanley Cup as much as it pains you as a being a Panthers fan. Yeah, I haven't fan. gotten there quite Me yet. Me as a Blackhawk fan. Well, look, and remember, I mean, as, as beat up as Tampa Bay was and as great as Pittsburgh was playing at that point if Brian Russ doesn't tuck in a weird goal in game seven Tampa might still go to the cup and then who and they would have beat San Jose too I think I, you know you mentioned Iserman we all we all discussed this on this show last year when he when he kind of made this decision but I really admired the uh the thought process and the candor at the trade deadline of mm-hmm. screw it we're going all in with Steven Stamkos if it doesn't work then maybe we lose the biggest free agent in, in NHL history who knows but we're going for it and I, I have to think the players respect that and the coaching staff and I think on some level Stamkos did too because he's back and Roy's right he could have made more money somewhere else we know Eisenman is going to try and that that's the most important thing he's going to try and when you're still dealing with human beings you have a winning team from what we understand a good culture there it's not inconceivable to think, you know what, maybe I'll take less money. I've watched this guy, this guy, this guy take less money to stay here. Maybe I will too. And I think that's the, I think that's the precedent. All GMs kind of want to send when they either they don't give out you know, trade clauses. They kind of want a situation where they can point to, well, if Steven Stamkos and Victor Hedman can do this, why, why can't you do that? And, and to where their Stanley Cup chances go, I think the two things that prevent them from winning the Stanley Cup, injuries – or underperformance. If this team lives up to expectations and plays up to those expectations and doesn't get hurt, I think they're the clear Stanley Cup favorite. Mm. Really? So you think if, if, if I could just guarantee you right now, nobody's hurt this year, everybody just kind of plays to their capabilities across the NHL, which obviously will never happen. Tyler Sagan's already hurt. But if I could just guarantee you that, you think Tampa Bay is the team? Yes. Okay. I like their blue line better than I like Pittsburgh's blue line. And I think they can score, even though they might not have as many big names, they can score like Pittsburgh can score. Yeah, they've got terrific they've got depth, names, terrific too. speed. Yeah, I agree with you on their blue line, too. Their blue line's terrific. So, Steve Eiserman, by the way, another Lipinski list. You might want to write these down so you, uh, could, you, know, you could come to the Wait, office with one of these Le- once in a while. A Lipinski list of Lipinski lists? Is that what I have to do? Well, That's going to be my list. Maybe at the end of the season. Here, I mean, I, it seems like you need ideas. I do. I could use a few. How many elite players have gone on to be elite executives? It's, it's a rarity, I think, in, in all of professional sports, really. In, in fact, sometimes it's hard for that elite player to step into that role because their expectations for the players they have are so high those guys can't live up to they don't they don't always manage that situation well, let's see joe sackick that's the only other elite player i can think of that's even a gm right now but a, a really good gm no i know I, right? I, he's he's not at the level of steve eiserman steve eiserman is is absolutely legitimately if he had never played hockey before mm-hmm. in his life and we had never heard of him till he, he became the gm maybe he wouldn't be as good at his job but if he was still this good He'd still be on the very short list. Yeah. And I do think there is something to that attitude of, I'm going to take a calculated risk. And, it, you know, Roy said it there. He might do it with Ben Bishop again this year, too, and just say, if we lose him, we lose him. But he gives us a better chance to win the Cup, which I agree with. Andre Vasilevsky's not at the level that Ben Bishop is yet. 
Yeah. And if you lose Ben Bishop in the offseason, if things go south and he's like, look, I'm not taking less money. I want to go be the starter and wherever. You do have Vasilevsky. It's, yeah, it's, it's probably not a great tragedy when we've yeah. seen what's happened with goalies in this league. But again, like you said about Stamkos as well, your goal is to win the Stanley Cup. So if you have that piece, why would you think about moving it a year early when you might win the Cup right now with him? I've, so, never, I've never understood the teams that are like, I'd rather be in the top five from year to year than actually try and win the Cup one year. It, you got to go for it. You lose in the conference semifinals every year. Ask the Rangers how that feels. And everything you do is in an effort to win the Cup. If you win the Cup, it doesn't matter what happens at free agency. It really doesn't the next year. That That's the whole purpose of it. And they can win the Cup. It's a different story when you're a young team that maybe is going to lose a veteran and you say, hey, we're, we're rebuilding. We need assets back. But for a Cup contender, it makes no sense to move him if you don't absolutely have to. All right, our third team preview today. This is this is a, a second hat trick on the natural hat trick. It's amazing, podcast. actually. I'm, I'm, Two hat tricks. I'm uh, pretty surprised. It, it came together this morning. I'll let you intro it. But Craig has outdone himself. We have. You should we, intro we it. usually have. You know, we we usually try to get two beat writers on each week. And I, know, I think we started with one, and then every week since we've had two. Well, well people we, hear about the show; they want to come on. We. That's that's it. That's as I said earlier. We set the agenda for the NHL. So <laughs> we've already had two on. We're not going to have a beat writer on to talk about the Carolina Hurricanes. In fact, we're going to have Carolina Hurricanes assistant general manager Rick Olchek on to talk about the Carolina Hurricanes. And he is also the assistant GM for Team Europe at the World Cup of Hockey. So we'll probably get into a little bit of discussion there as well. All right. This is a pretty pretty special guest for us here talking now to, to preview the Carolina Hurricanes, a team we're all kind of excited about on the rise in the Eastern Conference. We're not just talking to a, a, a reporter or a beat writer or anything. We're talking to Carolina Hurricanes assistant GM Rick Olchek, who also happens to be the assistant GM of Team Europe in the World Cup of Hockey, and they have a game tonight. So, Rick, thank you very much for the time. Well, thank you, Jamie, Luke, and Craig. Uh, great to be with you guys. And uh, as, uh, as they call me at the office, some of my PR guys, who I love to death, but they call me the Benedict Arnold since I'm not working for USA. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know where to go with that one, but <laughs> but I, I do want to ask you a little bit about the World Cup, uh, aside from the maybe the fruit and things that are getting thrown at you when people see you at the World Cup of Hockey. What's the atmosphere like there, Rick? You know, as, as you know, it's taking some hits in the American media that it's not that big a deal. The NHL is making too big a deal out of it. But what's, what's the atmosphere like there? How do the players feel about it? How do the executives feel about it who are at the tournament? Yeah, no, I, I mean, first, first, and uh, for me personally, it's been, a, it's been a great honor and privilege to be a part of uh, Team Europe and, and this uh, World Cup in terms of seeing the best players uh, in the world compete on this such grand stage here uh, beginning uh, this Saturday in Toronto. Um, I think the atmosphere has been great. Um, the players are very receptive to the idea uh, the executives from each of the teams that I've spoken to and, and talked to throughout the year as we were scouting players and trying to put our rosters together are excited about this tournament. They think it's, uh, again, uh, in comparison to the Olympics, obviously the Olympics is, uh, you know, speaks for itself. But, um, you know, here, unlike the Olympics, hockey is a focal and sole sport and will get the most uh, attention on and off the ice. So um, we think that's a positive thing. And, and, and for us, I, you know, um, Montreal. We started our uh, started our uh, training camp in Quebec City, and it was wonderful. I mean, the new building there, uh, the Vidotron Center, and uh, the people there were fantastic. Had a sold-out building. Montreal was the same thing. 
and uh, just again, the reception has been great, um, and the, the handling, the operations has been first class. And I know the guys are really looking forward to playing our last exhibition game against Team Sweden tonight, and looking forward to playing uh, uh, the Yanks from Team USA on Saturday. I'm sure there was a sentimental side of you that missed practicing at the old Coliseum, right? Given given our history oh, with the Pee Wee Tournament, right? Yes, indeed. I was fortunate enough to uh, play there and, and watch my brother play there a couple of times and now still coach my nephew there and, and to see it, uh, the building right next door to the new uh, building, um, you know, it pales in comparison in terms of uh, the bells and whistles, uh, but certainly uh, has a great history and, and something I, I fondly remember and, and uh, will never forget playing that tour. Rick, are you having a hard time not having a flag to rally around or an anthem to rally around with Team Europe? <laughs> you know, again, I think, uh, you know, in terms of a, whether it's a flag or not, I mean, the logo in, in front of our sweaters, uh, we, we like the logo, we like our colors, and that was some part of the process as we, we began this journey almost a year ago and uh, to get to where we're at. Um, you know, the guys are, hey, these guys are competitive, world-class athletes. They come from, uh, we've we got players representing eight uh, great countries, and uh, they all want to compete, they all want to win. And, you know, our message is, you know, have respect and uh, composure for your respective country, uh, but also about the team inside. So, I mean, I think they, they are playing for, you know, people say, well, what were they playing for? Again, they're each respective country and then for each other in the room. And we, we feel that the culture is growing and building and the team unity and, and those types of things that we don't have, say, as a Team USA or a Team Canada. So that's been a great perspective. And in terms of the national anthem, you know, we just felt strongly as a management group, as the players, and we took what they wanted to, we listened to what they wanted to say, and they were very vocal and adamant. They didn't want to uh, be unfair, uh, disingenuous to their own respective countries, um, and just felt that uh, we did not need a national anthem. The national anthem, as you know, evokes patriotism and it evokes a uh, sense of freedom and all that over time in a history and tradition. We don't have that, obviously. And uh, given the um, different backgrounds and different uh, nationalities that we have in this, we just felt that it was the best thing not to have and be disrespectful to any of the other countries involved or that they didn't get selected. Like, say, we don't have any, somebody from Italy or Poland, for example. Um, so we didn't want to be disingenuous to them as well. So, But we feel good about it, and we're excited about the tournament. Rick, you, you have an interesting challenge with this group. I mean, when I was looking at the tournament schedule, I was wondering why why three exhibition games and then three round-robin games, but for Team Europe, you know, these guys, they've played with or against each other in the NHL, but they didn't grow up playing together. Is three games enough to get all these guys on the same page? Well, I mean, again, you, you always, uh, I think you always, you know, obviously time is, uh, and experience is always uh, the best uh, best asset, but again, these are short tournaments, but again, as I said, we got world-class athletes, you know, and we got great leadership group in the Andy Kopitars and Marion Hostes of the world, the Dano Charas of the world, uh, Mark Strait, so we, we have that um, going for us, um, so I think it's, it's actually, it's kind of uh, come together a lot quicker than we probably anticipated, um, I think the three games is very helpful, uh, we have the uniqueness of our situation, given the fact that we've had a number of players that were playing in the qualifying rounds before they attended our training camps. So, you know, we take that as a positive. These guys were in game shape and, and that type of thing um, when they came over. So I, 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 it has been a challenge, and we knew it when we uh, took over this venture. Um, but we feel that we're, you know, making strides, and hopefully it'll uh, uh, we continue to get better, and that's what you want in any type of, these types of tournaments format 
continue to get better and, and uh, rise to the pinnacle of the mountain, if you will. What are some of the challenges to putting the roster together? You have a number of countries to choose from, but also a number of countries that you're not allowed to grab players from. What, what, how do you kind of construct the roster knowing that? Well, I mean, again, we knew we, you know, we could not take uh, players from Sweden and Finland and Czech Republic and, and Russia. So that, that was pretty easy to say who we can't uh, look after and uh, add to our roster. And so then essentially we had the rest of the world, if you will. And there's some tremendous players. I mean, you first hear, they go, quote, unquote, well, who's left? I mean, there's some tremendous players from, as I mentioned, just the aforementioned, you know, the Andy Kopitars and the Marion Hosted and Chara and Seidenberg. And, and there's, there's, the list goes on and on. And Halak and Annette. And, and um, you know, we got some good young stars in Leandro Seidel and Tobias Reeder and Michael Boddicker. So, I mean, I think that there's a lot to choose from around the world. And that just shows how great our game really is and how global and worldly, if you will, our game really is. I mean, a lot of the other sports can boast of a world game, but no one can compare it to the number of countries that we have playing and where they came from and their background. And, and I just love our diversity about our game, and, and it continues to grow. So I, 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 you know, it has been a challenge, but uh, to a large extent, uh, it was a, a very enjoyable experience to go through. Uh, Rick, switching over to the Carolina Hurricanes now, that's a team that I know at least I'm excited about what they could potentially do this season. I think Jamie and Craig are as well. And, and one of the reasons to be excited uh, is going out and getting Tevu Teravainen. Still young. Uh, obviously, this will be his first year with your club. But what are you guys realistically expecting from him? Well, no, we are. That's all good. I'm glad to hear it. You're excited. We're excited. Uh, the more uh, people that are excited about it, we, we, we feed off that. So that's great to hear. Uh, we, we, we certainly feel that... Uh, you know, uh, Teravine is going to be a great addition for us, uh, not only uh, this year, but in years to come. He's a high, high class, high world talent, uh, tons of skill, and we just, and we've been tracking him and watching him for a few years now, back to his, uh, you know, his draft year, and even before, uh, we just feel that, uh, you know, again, with all the star uh, studded players in Chicago, that he didn't have the opportunity to really shine and take his game to the next level which we believe he can and will do in Carolina. And so when, uh, you know, the situation presented itself, uh, that was the guy that we, we wanted to acquire, and, and we're glad that he could be a part of our uh, club moving forward. Speaking of the Blackhawks, Rick, i, I got to ask you this. Do you, do you sit down every summer and do you identify players that you can fleece the Blackhawks for every summer? Because you've, you've done it the last two years. Well, I don't know if I, you know, the lawyer, words are important. I don't know if I use the word fleece. <laughs> uh, but, but certainly in all seriousness, we, you know, again, we, we felt, uh, again, we, we look at all the teams, not only Chicago Blackhawks, but the, the rest of the uh, now 30 or 29 other teams, and not including ourselves in that uh, number of 31 in the National Hockey League and uh, Las Vegas, uh, whichever night it apparently looks like it's going to be, um, that uh, we, we go through analysis throughout the year and in the summers uh, about, uh, you know, who might be in cap uh cap jail or cap, have cap situations and cap problems, and um, if there's a way that we can make a move that's going to improve our organization, then we'll work with that team. And, you know, it just happened to be the last uh, two, you know, two of the bigger trades that we did with Chicago. It happened within what, nine months or so. We did it about another trade acquiring uh, Nordstrom uh, about a year ago at this time, and then uh, we acquired Teravain. And so, you know, it helped them. If they wouldn't have done the trade if it didn't, you know, they got something out of it. They got the cap relief uh, and both trades when we took on Versteeg and and uh, we acquired uh, uh, Bickle uh, in our deal to uh, obtain Caravanian. So 
so they got some flexibility and um, you know they paid a, a price for it and you know we were happy to help them out with it. As your team looks for a new captain, who are some of the names that could be in the running to get that C on their jersey? Well, I think you know we're we're waiting to see how our leadership uh, is going to evolve. I mean, we have no rush. There's no timeline uh, for us at this point. Uh, rookie camp, as you guys know, starts up tomorrow, and then main camp uh, a week a week from on the 22nd, a week from tomorrow. So, um, I mean, there's some names. I mean, we got a lot of good leadership in our uh, locker rooms with the Justin Falks of the world and Jordan Stalls of the world and. Uh, even some of our younger guys, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, Jeff Skinner, who's still a young player. And, um, you know, so we feel we have uh, some good leadership uh, uh, options for us. Um, and we'll just have to see how this all plays out. Rick, before we dive into this roster a little more and the expectations for the season, I want to ask you, how difficult was it for this franchise to part ways with Eric Stahl, given what he's meant to the franchise, including leading it to its only Stanley Cup? Well, certainly. I mean, uh, anytime you trade a uh, uh, a player um, who has exemplified what the Carolina Hurricanes want and the type of people that we want in our organization, be exhibited on the ice and certainly exhibited off the ice in the community uh, in the whole uh, Raleigh uh, Raleigh Durham area. And uh, you know, Eric was a big contribution, a big help for us to win the you know Stanley Cup. And, um, you know, those are always tough decisions. Um, but we felt that, you know, unable to uh, reach a deal um, and uh, looking at the short-term and long-term uh, benefits to our organization, we just felt that it was the right time to move on and move forward. And we did not want to lose the asset. And, uh, you know, again, in fairness to Eric, he gave us uh, permission to, uh, which we did not have, have, to, have to do, but we certainly are appreciative that he did that and allowed us to uh, move them on and, and uh, in New York at the time. So, uh, but no, we, we had some great years with Eric, and he was a great soldier for us, and just want to wish him well as he uh, moves on to his new venture in, in Minnesota. Rick, I think a lot of reason that, that people see you guys as an X-factor in the East this year and, and going forward is that young blue line. You mentioned Justin Falk, but you know Noah Hannafin, Jake Bean now too, Hayden Fleury. How excited are you guys about that defense core you've built in Carolina? Oh, we certainly are. I mean, uh, Jacob Slavin and Brett Pesci is another one, and, and uh, you know I think that uh, we, we we feel really good about our young D. They can they can all skate. Uh, you know six six two six three uh, can skate, make plays, uh, move up with the play, join the play. Um, so when to get a guy like this, you mentioned Jake Bean in the first round this year was uh, something that was unexpected from our standpoint, uh, but we were thrilled to get him. Where we did because uh, we had him actually rated higher, um, so we were excited to get him, um, and we just feel that we've got some other guys that can complement him as well. And, and even down in the farm in, in Charlotte, you know, a guy like Trevor Carrick, uh, who's a uh, you know a kind of a hard nosed uh, type of defenseman, and you know the Keegan Lowe's of the world, and you know um, uh, that Roland McEwen we acquired in uh, the LA trade uh, just a year ago, so uh, training Sakara. Uh, so we feel good about our young D and, and hopefully they can continue to progress and, and continue to make strides and that one of the tougher positions, if not the toughest positions, continue to grow because defensemen don't start getting into their bums to what, 20s or so or mid to late 20s. And uh, these guys are all under 25. And, you know, hmm. I don't even know if uh, Noah Hannafin is shaving at this point. But uh, <laughs> there's certainly some talented young blue lines. We're, we're glad that they're part of the Carolina Hurricanes organization. 
Speaking of players under 25, up, up front, Elias Lindholm, back-to-back 39-point seasons. What's the next step in his development as he continues to progress as an extremely young player playing big NHL minutes? Uh, Lindy, right, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think for him, I think his biggest thing is we want him to get off to a good start. I think that's that's critical. Um, the, um, you know, kind of, uh, he finished the year strong last year, got off to a kind of a tough start last year to begin, but we, we see a lot of upside with him and, you know, can play can play center, can play wing, and, um, you know, we just like his upside and he's a heck of a player and, and again, one of our leaders also on the team. Let's let's go from 25 and under set to the 20 and under set. Uh, just curious about Sebastian. A lot have been written about him this offseason. What are your expectations? Is he going to be on this roster? What does he have to do to make this roster? And what can he accomplish maybe in his first NHL season if he does? Well, again, I think uh, Sebastian Ajo certainly has uh, got, the, got a chance and it was great to uh, see him last night against Team USA and although did not uh, play in any um, um, you know, special team situations, he certainly played very well and uh, didn't look out of place. And, you know, again, I think the kind of his biggest asset is his incredible hockey IQ. He's off the charts, uh, knows where to be positionally. Um, you know, I think he's established himself as a, as a potential, potential world-class uh, player. I mean, again, with his, his resume, he was a big part of Simmons' World Junior Team winning gold this uh, last year. And, and he was uh, part of the silver winning team that uh, lost to Canada in the, in the World Championships. And then, again, given his young age and all the top Swedes that are out there, you know, he was uh, asked to be a part of the uh, 23-man roster for Team Sweden to represent, you know, in the World Cup next week. So I think that says a lot and to who, what he has done to this point. Um, you know, our expectations, we hope he's going to be in the lineup. We expect him to be in the lineup. Um you know, but again, we'll see how everything goes with uh, with camp and as he starts getting to uh, you know uh, the 82 games uh, season and and all that. But we want to do right by him, and, and uh, we feel that in years to come, he's going to be a big uh, uh, big asset for us. Rick, I think one of the more uh, underrated young forwards in the league is Jeff Skinner. He's still just 24, but he nearly hit 30 goals for the third time in his career last year. Is he at the point now where where he's kind of your main weapon up front, and you you, you see yourself building around him? You know, yeah, Jeff is, uh, you know, he, I tell you, he is a guy that uh, is a pure goal scorer. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Uh, as you indicated, I mean, he put up some good numbers again last year and and uh, the last few years, and, and, you know, we just feel that he's going to continue to grow. And, um, you know, he, I think he, you know, he's getting that confidence where he wants to be one of the elite goal scorers. And, and um, you know, he's not a very good guy, but he's, he's not shy to go into sometimes some of the areas and, uh, you know, in the high slot and, and go to the net and get, get dirty and get some goals that way. And, and um, But he certainly is a pure goal scorer, and we're, we're happy. We think he's going to be able to continue to take another uh, take it to another level. And as I said earlier about the rest of our leadership, he's, you know, he's somebody that I know can, can embrace that. And even though he's a young player, uh, uh, he's one of our leaders on this hockey club as well. What are your expectations for Cam Ward this season as your team tries to get into the postseason? Well, I mean, again, Cam, uh, we're, we're excited that Cam's back, and, and Cam wanted to be back. There's no doubt about that. Um, you know, again, he uh, was kind of a slow start for both our net miners last year uh, as a tandem. Um, but having said that, from December or early December on, 
uh, Cam's numbers were up there with uh, some of the elite goaltenders in the league, and he was one of the top uh, in all of the categories. So he, he's in great shape, uh, we're hearing, and he's motivated and has been working extremely hard this summer. And, you know, we, we feel that, uh, you know, given the deal that we signed, that was fair for both sides, the two-year deal, short-term deal, so we're not locked in, he's not locked in, and, you know, things, uh, and he stays healthy, and continues to do what he's finished off with, and, you know, the sky's the limit. I, I think he's kind of uh, rejuvenated and revigorated and ready to go for it. Rick, last question from us here is the million-dollar question. Um, not only can this team contend for a playoff spot, but if you had to pinpoint one or two keys, what would those be in order for the Hurricanes to make the postseason this year? You know, I'd say I'd, I'd make this it's a rhetorical question. Of course we can contend for a playoff spot. <laughs> I mean, of course, why not? The sky's the limit, and, you know, fall brings eternal, uh, brings eternal for us, so... Uh, why not uh, the Carolina Hurricanes? I mean, again, we've got a great coaching staff, and, and Bill Peters, and we uh, extended this past summer, and uh, he's done a heck of a job, um, and we feel that uh, some of the pieces that we've added, you know, in the least Stephanie the acts of the world and Victor Stahlberg, uh, that will add, add to our, our uh, skill set up front, uh, some of our depth, um, and, you know, again, we improved, I think, 15 points and standing from last year. And uh, we just feel that we're, we're moving in the right direction. And like I said, uh, Coach Bill Peters is a heck of a coach. And he's uh, uh, particular to details, and, and guys are buying into a system and understand it now and really comprehend it. And are really, you know, I think that we're uh, hopefully that uh, we get off to a good start. That's the key to our season, I think, this year as well. Um, we're on the road, I believe, for nine of our first 12 games. So uh, it's a tough challenge. We've got to go out west and um, uh, face, uh, you know, uh, the, the Pacific Division with uh, Vancouver and Edmonton and Calgary and so uh, Winnipeg and so we'll have a lot of have a lot of home openers, but, you know, we're looking forward to the challenge. But uh, why can't we uh, take a That's what our expectations are. All right, Rick, my friend, I, I really appreciate you joining us on such a tight window. Do they have places to hike in Toronto, by the way? Yeah, they do. It's called the uh, it's called the gym in the hotel. <laughs> All right, the, uh, not really your cup of tea. Yeah, I'll make the elevation on the treadmill and away I go. But uh, hopefully, most importantly, we uh, have a good tournament. But I'm really excited not to be a part of the World Cup, and hopefully, uh, the fans will be watching and, and uh, taking note of the uh, the best players in the world on stage. Rick is not on Twitter, I will tell you, and that is by choice. <laughs> yeah, I think if, you, if you're in a position of power like that. <laughs> See you, Rick. Thanks, Rick. I'll tell you what, he's not kidding. Six straight road games to start the season for Carolina. That's that is insane. brutal. Winnipeg, Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary. Like, Just start on the other side of the continent and then Philadelphia and Detroit. Their home opener is not till October 28th wow. against the Rangers. Half a month before you see home ice. He literally, Carolina's home opener is not for like another 45 days. That's unreal. That's mm. It's insane considering they start their season in less than a month. But uh, we've talked about Carolina on the show a lot in, in, in the past as kind of our dark horse team in the Eastern Conference. And, and it is probably easier to get into the play or just to get into the playoffs after having not been there in the East than the West. And specifically, it would be in the Atlantic Division, not so much in the Metro Division. And Carolina... If they don't make the playoffs this year, I think they're going to make life tough on some teams, and, and they're going to be right 
uh, in it to the very end. Yeah, like you said, the, the bubble in the Eastern Conference seems like it's, it's very fluid every year, so you can have teams moving in and out around those, those final few spots. Uh, interesting to hear him talk about Tavo Terabine, and, I, and I'm curious about this as well for other reasons. I think we can hear you curious grinding your teeth on the air while he was <laughs> yeah. talking about yes. Tavo. You know, Rick, Rick thinks the Carolina Hurricanes think this guy can be a top six forward, and he, he just hasn't been given that opportunity in Chicago because they have so much forward depth there. He's going to get that opportunity now. We'll see if he can, in fact, grow into another one of those players that looks so great uh, you know, on the ex-Blackhawk team that we constructed earlier this year <laughs> of All-Stars. I'm, I'm going to stop speaking now. No, this Rick, is fun. Rick, I'm enjoying this. Tear Just up a little bit. The box of tissues. <laughs> He's, uh, look, Tara Vinan's an exciting player, and that's he really is the, the main reason I think people that aren't Hurricanes fans are going to be excited about Carolina this year because you heard Rick talk about that blue line, and that, that blue line is it's similar in a way Carolina seems to be similarly building their team in the the east the way the Coyotes have in the west where they're just kind of stockpiling this young talent maybe they don't have quite as much as the Coyotes do but they certainly have more on the blue line and they've gone out and made moves like that where yeah we'll take Brian Bickle's contract off your hands but we can take for that Taravainen yeah and so <laughs> they are kind of almost the the eastern conference equivalent of the Coyotes in some ways right now and there's internally there's a ton of reason to be uh, optimistic about that blue line there's a lot of room for that team to grow, and I think that's the biggest point. And when you look at teams that could make that jump, where are they last year versus what their potential is? And they've got, like we've talked about that blue line is really, really solid uh, with a lot of young players. Can Lindholm take the next step? But they also have a ton of new players. I'm interested to see how they fit in. And, you know, Lee Stepniak comes in, and then 80 million Blackhawks of Tavo Teravine and Brian Bickle, yes. Victor Stahlberg. Lee Stepniak, hey, uh, who's played for half the NHL teams. That worked now. for yeah. Florida, though, when they took all the Blackhawks for a while there. So, not to bring that up too, Craig, but it did work for the Panthers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Winnipeg got a couple of them too. And, uh, <laughs> let's see. Never mind. You're kind of like a reverse feeder system to the entire NHL, except you win a cup and then you give away some players. So, we can't feel that bad for you. Uh, Cam Ward is clearly the, the biggest key here because when you know, we talk about some of these teams like Dallas, they've got issues in net, but they're so loaded up front that they're still going to be a playoff team. And if those goalies figure it out, if just one of them figures it out, they might challenge for the cup team like Carolina has to have a lot of things go right to get in there, especially in the Metro, because again, you're going to have to unseat somebody like either the Islanders, Rangers, Penguins, Capitals, Flyers. You're going to have to unseat one of them to get in because you're in that division. It's going to come down to certainly a lot of these young players taking the next step, but if Cam Ward doesn't step up, then it's not really going to matter this year. Yeah, and you you look at his numbers, and, and obviously goaltending numbers, are partially reflective of the team in front of them. That that matters a whole lot, and I don't think we have truly great stats for measuring goaltender performance yet. But when you look at his save percentage over the last few years, it's it's nowhere near where it needs to be for a playoff team. He hasn't been he hasn't been really good since the 11-12 season. Yeah, and that's 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 a major concern for them. They and as Rick said, they they, they made the decision to re up with him and. They, they still believe he can recapture that form. Maybe maybe the play of the team in front of him has something to do with that, but that's still a bit of a gamble with what he's done in recent history. Yeah, and with Eddie Lack being the only fallback option, and again, you, whether they make the playoffs or not, it's probably going to come down to their goaltending. Because if, if you put the rest of their team as a potential playoff team, if they get below average goaltending like they've been getting, it's, it's not going to be enough to, to crack the top eight. They're a weird franchise in a way because... 
since 2001, they've made the playoffs three times, right? And in, in those, those three trips to the playoffs, they lost the Stanley Cup, they won the Stanley Cup, and they lost in the conference finals. So if they get in, they go deep. But it, you have to get in first. The last time they, they were in the playoffs was 2009. That's when they got swept in the Eastern Conference Finals uh, by, by Pittsburgh. So it's it's been a seven-year hiatus. And I, I'm fairly confident if they don't get in this year, they should get in next year because they do seem to be building big picture. They don't seem to be rushing things. But, um, but I do think there's an opening this year. Do we um, – this is that moment in the show where I ask Craig who we're going to preview next week, and then and, and I call it up. Oh, you're supposed to give me a segue. Okay, that was the segue. I'm, a, I'm sending it over. Speaking of hockey, segue. we're going to talk about hockey next week. <laughs> who are we going to talk about hockey with, Craig? Speaking of hockey, okay, we're running so out we of have, teams. We, but yeah, we have two weeks left okay. in our uh, in our team previews here. We've we've got to cover seven more teams. We're going to hit four the final week. Oh, next week. We're going to talk about the St. Louis Blues with St. Louis Post Dispatch writer Jeremy Rutherford. Nice. Uh, so. Not going to commit to another writer yet because I'm still waiting to hear on something. I uh, might, might have had a change of plan, so I'll let you know on that. But, but Jeremy does a fantastic job covering the Blues. I think a lot of people know that name. We're also going to talk about the Islanders and the Bruins next week. Okay. I know we like to talk about the Bruins for specific reasons. Jamie specifically. Can we have, yes. like, can this be like one of those, like, Jerry Springer where we just have Jamie ripping Peter Chiarelli and then Chiarelli comes, comes through the, the door? Yeah, and he's like, oh, well, look who just happens to be here. I know he's not still the <laughs> Bruins guy, but... His mark has been left on the Bruins. Yeah, it has. <laughs> All right, Jamie, do you want to tell people how they can uh, listen to us before I sign off this show? You can listen to us. You can find us on iTunes and Google Play. Just search Natural Hat Trick and subscribe to our podcast. It would be really appreciated. Uh, if you do that, Craig gets paid more money under the door, which hasn't happened in like two podcast episodes, so he's due. Somebody's <laughs> trying to tell him something. But you've got to hit that subscribe button uh, so Craig can feed his family. So this is, real, this is really all, all on you. Do, you. do you like Craig Morgan or not? <laughs> If you just click and on the subscribe button like once a month. when you frame it that way. <laughs> and if you don't, just subscribe anyway because we got Luke Lipinski. Yeah, that's true. And, and I'm obviously rolling in the dough too. All right. Thanks, uh, thanks for listening. For, for Jamie Eisner and Craig Morgan, I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for tuning in to episode 51 of the Natural Hattrick Podcast.